0: to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, and uh, this is a great verse of Scripture, and uh, this is Paul, okay, the Apostle Paul, writing to a young preacher. It's his last letter. He's just a few chapters removed from losing his life for the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Nobody probably, well, certainly nobody in Scripture had a life like Paul's. Here he was. I was on the road to Damascus. I saw a light from heaven as bright as the noonday sun. And he shared that testimony everywhere he went. It wasn't foreign. It wasn't, it wasn't unusual. He, it didn't matter if he was before kings or governors or sitting in a jail cell. He told everybody where I was, what happened, and the change that it made in his life. And it wasn't like everything went roses after that because Saul, who had become the Apostle Paul, he went through beatings and stonings and persecutions unlike anything we could, I mean, we simply can read about it. We don't know anybody that's, that's endured what Paul went through, shipwrecked. And then ultimately, right here, his last letter to a young preacher who's about to take over, and his last words are, um, of course, you know, uh, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready to be offered. Can you imagine such faith to write that? I mean, I just, it's just amazing. Now, we know that he wrote it under the leadership, influence, and direction of the Holy Spirit, but can you imagine writing that? Um, you know, I fought a good fight, I finished my, the course, I've kept the faith, henceforth there is laid it for me, a crown of righteousness, not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. And so, he knows that his passing is imminent, and he still writes that. But, if we rewind to the first chapter in this letter to Timothy, Paul says this, and this is so important, and this will be our springboard for the message today. And the Bible reads, I've got it on the screen there in front of you, you're welcome to turn to it, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And uh, the title of the message is Unclaimed Gifts, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? You pray that God would help and lead and guide direct, and if you're at home, pray that God would bless in these few moments that we share. Lord, we ask for your help, your favor. Please guide and direct and all that's said and done. May you speak to our hearts, Lord, as only you can. God, we do ask for your direction, your wisdom, <coughs> and Lord, uh, for each of us. And I pray that you bless these few moments we share uh, together. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Unclaimed gifts is the title. <clears throat> I had a picture. I was, <laughs> I was uh, doing a little digging for this message within the past couple weeks, and there was a picture of a... Uh, a uh, postal storage facility, the United States Post Office. And again, I'm not picking on the post office, okay? Uh, most of the time, you know, priority mail works pretty good. Um, but uh, it seems like almost every week, some of our mail arrives here and it's either damaged or opened or we get an envelope that's been tear, torn open and nothing in it. And so it just happens, I know. Um, but uh, nonetheless, it was this huge mountain of boxes, and packages, and parcels, and letters, and it was up for auction, because all of it had gone unclaimed. It had been shipped, it had been sent to someone, and could not be returned, or been returned, and they had made multiple attempts, nobody claimed it, and so it was considered unclaimed parcels, and so they were uh, auctioning uh, off this entire pile. And man, it had priority mailboxes. It had some Amazon Prime boxes. I was looking at it, man, you know, who knows what's in those boxes? But it was probably taller than I am. This pile of stuff. Unclaimed. Well, someone ultimately bought it, and from time to time they have those auctions, things that just cannot be found to where they belong. But you know, the tragedy for us as God's people is there's a whole lot of unclaimed gifts for the believer. Now, Paul reminds Timothy, and he, he gives him this lesson. He says, let me tell you this right from the. Remember, this is his last letter. He says, I want to tell you something. He said, and the, I, you've got to understand that spirit of fear doesn't come from God. You didn't get that from God. Why is that significant? Because I think Paul with Timothy, I mean, he was a mentor to him. And so uh, Timothy looked up to Paul, and now he's realizing Paul's not getting out of where he's at. He is in trouble. He's, probably, he's likely going to lose his life. And uh, now what? So obviously, Timothy's, uh, you know, I won't use the word freaking out because I don't think that's in the New Testament anywhere, but he's probably pretty tripped. Neither is that in the New Testament now that I think about it. He's just thinking, what in the world? What more could go wrong? What's going to happen here? So here's Paul. He says, Timothy, God hath not given us, the spirit of fear. So that's the first thing. See, and the problem with fear, and we live in a culture where they throw it at us. And again, I'm not preaching. I I realize 2020 has been weird. I mean, it's it's just, uh, you talk about keep Portland weird, keep 2020 weird. I mean, it has been weird, right? And the stuff that has happened, uh, though it did not catch God off guard, it certainly did us. I mean, I remember when I announced on a Thursday night in March, two weeks to flatten the curve. What curve? Come on now. And then it went for month after month after month. (laughs) Then we came back, and then we went on a two-week freeze, you know, and it was like everything was going to be better because on Wednesday, you know, the virus was going to figure it out. Now it's okay, but we just needed that pause for Thanksgiving. And, yes, there's some sarcasm in there, and I apologize, but nonetheless. And so we did all of those things. We're fearful about uh, where we work. Is our job safe? And uh, am I going to get this? And, And, by the way, I'm not minimizing the virus. It's legit. I have people that I, that I have known for years back east who passed away because of COVID. So people that I personally know. I have, I have pastor friends of mine who've shut down their services with dozens of cases in their church. The Lord has been very gracious to us here at Timberline, and I don't take that lightly. It's one of the reasons why I still want to try to be careful. Okay, uh, I want to make sure that we're smart and safe and strategic and all of those things, but I don't want to stop being spiritual okay? And that's why we're continuing to meet. But but nonetheless, if we're not careful, that fear can overwhelm us. It changes how we do things. It changes what we think. And fear makes you make bad decisions. We look at one of the greatest examples, and you have, here's Jonah. Uh, Jonah made some bad decisions, right? Now, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, they were bad guys. They didn't like Christians, Jews particularly at that point. And uh, so... Jonah didn't want to go. Whether he was fearful of him or he didn't want him to be reached is irrelevant. He did not want to go. So he made some decisions, I think primarily based on fear. Got on a ship, headed down, gets tossed overboard, swallowed by a whale. That'll change your life, right? I mean, if nothing else happened in that guy's life, getting swallowed by a whale, that'll do it. And so he's in the the belly of the whale, and I'm starting to sing those little patch the Pirate songs as as I'm thinking through that. But uh, So here he is, and he gets tossed up. On the uh, And I said that delicately. He gets tossed up on the shore and goes to Nineveh, and all these people get saved. And God does a miraculous evangelistic miracle. But there's a man who made bad decisions because of fear. Because what fear does is it raises our alarms, it causes us to be concerned, and it takes control of our life and causes us to make bad decisions. You don't want to make a decision based on fear. Rather, The Bible doesn't say, the just shall live by fear. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And so what we do... Now, by the way, that doesn't mean we're foolish. That doesn't mean, you know, hey, I can jump out of this plane without a parachute because I've got faith. Uh, No, that's dumb, okay? First of all, to even want to try to jump... You know, my brother, my oldest brother, um, he sent me this message when he had made his 100th jump. And I'm thinking, that's 100 bad decisions that you made in life, at least. His 100th jump... From an aircraft, and I'm thinking, why would you jump out of a perfectly good flying machine? But uh, but he did anyway, and uh, of course he he pays for it now. His knees, his hips, and everything hurt from all of those landings. But uh, I'm thinking, man, I'll just walk down the 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 steps, you know, and get off the plane or whatever. Um, But nonetheless, uh, when we make decisions based on fear, we make bad decisions. I want to get to the message real quickly and then uh, share a few thoughts with you before we head to the house today. So he says, I didn't give you the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So not fear, but here's the first one. God says, I gave you power. Is it up there? There we go. Power. Power what? God says, I gave you power. You have that. I think for the average child of God, those gifts are like uh, that first image there. They're gifts. They're just kind of sitting there. When uh, the ladies decorate for Christmas, which I think they'll be decorating this week some, and uh, when they decorate for Christmas, they put those boxes out there, but there's nothing in them, okay? So tell your little ones if they want to run off with one. They're just kind of empty boxes. It's a decoy, the Christmas decoy. But uh, there are a lot of gifts that go unclaimed. I remember my... uh, my mom and dad always kept the stash of Christmas gifts in the closet. Uh, th- that's where they were. And, and occasionally, I can remember my older siblings trying to get me to go in there and, hey, just see what you got and see what's in there, and before it all got wrapped. Now, my mom and dad didn't, like, you know, put it out there a little bit at a time. They usually waited till like, just r- right at the end and then put it there. And I thought that was such a waste, you know. Um, but, that, you know, I was one of those shakers. How many of you are gift shakers? You know what I mean? Or you just kind of feel it. You guess the size and you think, I know what that is. And my parents did not want that happening in our house. Um, but it's, it's amazing <coughs> when, my, when my mom and dad uh, moved out of their house and we were helping clear things in that back closet, in that back closet, Now, I had been gone from the house for I don't know how many years, but there was a bag with some Christmas dress shirts for me, and my name was on it, and those were supposed to go to me when I was in college. Now, I had been married and long gone, and uh, they didn't fit me anymore but they were still in the original packaging with the receipt in the bag. And I was thinking, man, I could have used those when I was in college. And here they are stuck in the back of the closet all these years later. But I think for us as God's people, the problem with us in life many times is God has all these wonderful things that he wants to give us to help us navigate the course of life, and we don't avail ourselves to it. And one of the key reasons is that first thing that Paul tells Timothy God hath not given us the spirit of fear, because fear keeps you from getting to the gifts that God has for you. It handcuffs you, it, it shackles you, and it keeps you from enjoying and using what God wants you to have to get through life. And so the first one he says is power. The Bible tells us, I want to read these verses, I'll toss them here on the screen. <laughs> and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, that's some power, right? Raising Christ from the dead, which he wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. God makes it very clear, I've given you that power. And so, what is that power for? First of all, there's power that God gives us over sin. Now, the Bible tells us, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.14, and I've not seen it right here, but the Bible says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. That word dominion is power, control. And God says, listen, if it does, it's because you haven't taken advantage of gifts. It's because you are living your life and captivated by fear. And so those unclaimed gifts as a child of God, God says, I want to give you power over sin. If you and I are still struggling with things that we've been struggling with for years and you've kind of beaten ourselves up over it and say, why am I still battling with this? Why am I still struggling? Why does this still seem to have control or victory or an edge in my life? It's because you've not claimed those gifts that God has given you. And one of those things is power over sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Then let me say this further. Um, <laughs> power over fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect or mature or complete in love. So the first thing is power over sin. The second thing is power over fear. If you're worried about everything that comes along, and by the way, we could be worried about the the next tweet or the next broadcast or the next news report or the next this, and every time we read it, it, it may cause angst. I mentioned this in the earlier service. Um, I haven't watched a newscast. I I used to be pretty faithful watching uh, Fox News almost every night. I'd usually watch Tucker and uh, sometimes The Angle and a little bit here or there. But since election night, I haven't turned on Fox News one moment. And uh, it, I haven't watched hardly any news. I've checked the weather report a time or two, you know, just to see if Mount Hood's getting any snow up there and that kind of thing, seeing how much rain we're going to get. Is it going to get cold and uh, all of that? But, uh, but I really haven't. Now, people have sent me articles, and I, there's a, I subscribe to some publications that I read pretty regularly. But, uh, but if you're not careful, you can live your life kind of like this because you're tossed about. And you're in constant turmoil. And God said, I, I didn't give you that spirit of fear, but I get, did give you power, love, and a sound mind. So so one of the things that God says is, uh, I want to give you power over sin, power over fear. And then let me say this further. And I'm not seeing these verses pop up, so I apologize for that. Um, let me see if I can reboot the thing. There we go. Um, they're popping up now. All right. Um, then the next one is First Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So I've got power over fear. I've got power over sin, but I've also got power over temptation. Listen, every time, and by the way, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You know, whatever the temptation might be. The Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and these sin, which does so easily beset us, beset you. Each and every one of us have a besetting or a troubling sin. You know what yours is. I know what mine are. And I'm a sinner, by the way, no different than anybody else. But God says every time that temptation comes, there's a way out. There's an escape. It's up to you to take it. God doesn't leave you hanging in the midst of struggling with sin. God wants you to be victorious over sin. And I didn't give you that spirit of fear, but of power. That power is deliverance or freedom or victory over whatever sin, the besetting sin in your life. And so God says, with temptation, I will give you a way to escape. It's up to you to take it. You don't have to take it, but it's your choice. I remember, and I've told the story numerous times, and uh, I'll not belabor it for sake of time, but I'm always (laughs) reminded of Stanley Primnath. Stanley Primnath was one of the only survivors above the impact zone in the World Trade Centers when they were struck on 9-11. He was the vice president of Fuji Bank. And he actually, by his own personal account later, uh, saw the plane just before impact. He was literally sitting at his desk looking out the window and saw the plane just before impact, and he would later write that he said, that he said at that point, point, the only thing that he knew to say was, God save me. He threw himself under his desk, and one of, the, uh, one of the parts of the wing landed 30 feet from his desk. It's miraculous that he survived, because the explosion and the impact was just significant. I mean, you could see the ball of flame. Um, and someone who was coming down the only stairwell that was not blocked from several floors above him heard him screaming, heard him crying, and uh, came over and lifted a piece of heavy sheetrock off of him, and they made their way down the only stairwell, stairwell C of the four stairwells, the only one that was not cut off. And as they were going down, there were people coming up because they thought they would be safer on the roof and there were only, i think there were 13 people who made it down that stairwell everybody else above the impact line including those who traveled up they all perished when the building collapsed but see his one way of escape was a man who was a he was a fire marshal in the building who was several floors his name was Brian i can't remember his last name it escapes me pardon me because i didn't research it for the story it's just coming to mind right now from past readings but, uh, but he came down and said, no, we got to go down. we got to get out of this building. And everybody who listened to him made it out, and they survived. Stanley Primnath said he was three blocks away when the building collapsed, but he said as soon as he got out, he was running for everything he was worth, trying to get away from that, that impact. In just a matter of moments, that entire building collapsed. And we know the tragedy that occurred. But he had one way out, and he took it. And uh, I'm not faulting anybody who went up. Don't misunderstand my point. My point is this. For you as the believer, God says, I can get you out of that temptation. I can get you out of that struggle. I can get you out of that heart. I can get you out of that heartache, that disappointment. But you've got to trust me. God's way is always the only way. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And so God says, do you want escape? Do you want power <coughs> over your temptation, power over your sin, power over your fear? Then I've got a way for it. Then let me say this, uh, this further. Uh, the fourth one is power over discouragement. Discouragement. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. John 16, 33. These things I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, hey, you will have. That's a promise. You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Boy, sometimes it doesn't seem like it. I have overcome the world. You see, the the problem is many times we allow ourselves to get so discouraged by the events in our life, and the things that we see. By, by the way, we live in such a world that every something that can happen on the other side of the planet moments later is on Twitter. In fact, sometimes it's live. I mean, we can have somebody who's posting live from Portland about unrest, and all of our family back east, if you have family back east, or wherever they may be, they think we live in a war zone. They really do. I mean, I've got, I've got relatives and family, what are you guys doing? It's falling apart. And I'm thinking, Dude, I live in Sherwood or Newburgh. This is Mayberry RFD. I mean, okay, n- not exactly, but you understand what I'm saying. But boy, for other people back home, you, you guys from Portland, man, you guys are nuts. And we realize that some of us maybe are, but but not quite like the world is picturing. And, and God says, hey, hey, listen, don't freak out about all of those things. Why? Jeremiah 29, 11. I love this verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Well, the first thing about that verse that's so encouraging to me is God's, I'm on God's thoughts. God's thinking about me. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, say it to the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. In other words, God says, hey, listen, chill. I know what you're thinking, but I know what I'm thinking. And my thoughts for you are thoughts of peace. Even though I feel so frazzled and so torn and so unrestful right now, um, God says, no, no, no. Uh, My thoughts for you are good thoughts and to give you an expected end. So the first gift is power. Power over sin, power over fear, power over temptation, power over discouragement. Then the second one, for God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power. Number two, <laughs> love, love. And uh, man, we see it in our culture. Love is, uh, I'm not gonna sing one of those old songs about love is all you need or whatever, what the world needs now is love because all of that stuff's a bunch of junk. We're talking about the love of God. And, and God says, I've given you that gift, love. Well, what should I love? Well, the first thing is I ought to love the things that God loves. Well, I know this, God loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. May I say this as a believer? You should not just love the lovable. You know, some people are easy to love. If somebody's nice to you, I don't know you probably loving them. Though. Somebody wants to give me a gift or some money, oh, I love them so much. I mean, right right here. Somebody, somebody wants to be unkind to me, mm, not so much. I love them because God says to, but I don't like them. And we kind of feel that way sometimes. But do you realize that God loves you? You say, yeah, I get that. But the people that you don't like, God loves them too. You know, the person, you know, it's easy for us, particularly as believers, t- to want to support the rule of law. Obey them, have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls as the, the, they that must give an account, so that they may do it with joy and not with grief. And so it's easy for me to see a police officer and say, thank you for your service. It's also easy for me to get angry about somebody who would want to spit in his face and say something mean and belligerent and unkind. But do you realize that God loves that police officer and that anarchist the same? I'm scratching my head on that one because I'm thinking, that guy, man, I want to see him locked up. I want to see the book thrown at him. Now, I do want righteousness and justice to prevail. Don't misunderstand me. But I can't ever separate myself from the love of God and the love that God has. I hate these things sometimes. Glenn, somebody's been messing with my mic. And uh, so it's easy for me to say, well, I, yes, I want to love that person, but that one not so much. Do you realize that every person that's ever drawn a breath in this life, in this planet, from the beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve, God loved them equally the same. The two thieves that hung on the cross, he loved them both the same. One accepted, one rejected. And God loved them both the same. And so we we have to understand God said, I I didn't give you that spirit of fear, but I gave you power and I gave you love. And yes, that means love the things that God loves. Who is that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then also, hereby do men know that you are my disciples if you have love one toward another. The proof of God's love resonating in my heart and in my life is that I love God's people. So if I want to make sure that I, I'm accessing that gift of love, I have love for the world. I have love for the lost. Not, not looking at them in a downward way because, listen, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions, they fail not. I, I, I'm not shocked. I'm more shocked that God would love me and save me than I am that somebody else might be lost and unrepentant of their sin. And so it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That applies to each and every one of us. So I need love, love for the brethren, love for the lost, love for the world. And it's very important to be able to distinguish those things and then love for the things that matter to God. I hasten on to this next one. Next one he said, For God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This, I think, is one of the areas where so many people are struggling. Um, and I'm not. I'm not saying, and I don't mean this. <laughs> you, you. We might use the expression "so and so is crazy" or "so and so is nuts" or "so and so doesn't have any sense." Uh, and that may be true. <laughs> but what this is is this is the person who's like this in life. But you know what's happened in our world today, particularly in 2020, is we have been so shaken by the news. By the media, by politicians, by unrest, by strife, by violence. That, that sound mind, is hard to find. You know, now keep in mind, Paul is writing a young preacher who's about to take over because Paul's about to lose his life, right? So we've got to look at this in the context of its writing. And he said, Timothy, you better get this. That spirit of fear... What am I going to do when Paul goes? You didn't get that from God. But he did give you some very nice things to navigate the course of life. He gave you power. He gave you love. And he gave you this ability. Think about it for a moment. How is Paul able to stand before Felix Festus and be so bold that they would even comment about his boldness? He said, I, I count myself thankful. I'm, I'm happy that I get to stand here before you, knowing that he was still handcuffed. He was in shackles because he said, uh, he said, he looks at Agrippa and he sees the, the conviction on his face as he tells the story. And he charges them as those were the ones, you were the ones who hung Jesus Christ, who was innocent. And he sees the conviction on Agrippa, and he says, Believest thou the prophets? I know thou believest. And Agrippa says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul said, I would that thou were not almost, but altogether, such as I, save these bonds. He knew that conviction was present. How did Paul have that boldness? I'm not saying Paul didn't worry or fret, but I am saying this. He said, Listen, one of those gifts that God gave me on the road to Damascus was power and love and the sound mind for everything you're going to face in life. Hey, listen, may I say this? Um, Somebody is watching you, children, grandchildren, young people in our church family, and they're looking to see how you are. Are you rattled? Are you like this? You know, sometimes people send messages, and I've had people email me and call me and text me. And and by the way, I don't mind. But, But sometimes you can sense the angst and unrest in their spirit. Pastor, is this the end? I've had people ask me that. I don't know. But if it it is, and by the way, I don't think it is, okay? Um, I'm going to throw that out there. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong a whole lot in life, okay? So, but I know this. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. But I know this. I, I can't go like this. I can't be mercurial and just up and down and up and down. And, oh, the, I, got, I got this message and I got this tweet and this announcer said this and this political analyst says this and this, this forecaster says this and, and this financial uh, analyst says this is going to happen and they're saying this about the housing market. And they're saying this about my job and they're saying this. And so here we go. And for a lot of people, Christians included, 2020 has been a roller coaster. And it's only been a roller coaster because we've allowed it to be. I'm not minimizing difficulty, adversity, hardship. I'm not minimizing, I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying it's not not legit. But Paul even wrote to the church at Thessalonica. I want to pull that verse up here. And he tells them in chapter number 2 and verse number 2. That ye be not soon shaken in mind. Here we go. Or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, we understand what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 particularly is talking about, the coming of the Lord. But he also warns them, he says, listen, he says, don't be so shaken and troubled by what you see, by what you hear, even if you get it from a good guy. Because he said, nor by letter as from us, even if it were, And see, what happens for us as God's people sometimes is we lose and lack the ability. And so, uh, let me say this under sound mind. Number one, don't be shaken. Don't be shaken by 2020. Do you realize that in all the years of human history, this is just one? And do you realize that in our world, there have been some humdinger years? I mean, think about what people have gone through and what they faced, and we're still going. And if you're not careful, you'll think this is it. What do you think people were thinking during the Great Depression? I remember talking to my dad about stories, and my dad grew up in Appalachia during the Great Depression. And when they would would literally, he said, he and his siblings would walk the railroad tracks and pick up pieces of coal to try to heat, heat the house that would fall off the engine's. You know, he he talked about we would, he said, we ate things that you would never eat during the Great Depression. He said, if I told you told you how we lived during those days. You know, there are a lot of people, they, they were like, you, you could be shaken, or you could be like his mom who just said, hey, we'll get by. We'll get by. And you have to have the attitude as a child of God, I am not shaken because God said, you didn't get that from me. I didn't give you that spirit of fear. I gave you power and love. And here's this great gift for every believer. Sound mind. Now, it doesn't mean that trouble's not going to come. You know, it's the ability to pin those words in chapter 4 that make Paul's statement here so believable. I fought a good fight i finished my course, I've kept the faith, henceforth there's laid it for me a crown of righteousness. He said, I knew this day was coming and I've spent my entire life getting ready for it. So, be, sound mind means you will not be shaken and then it means you will not be moved. He only is my rock and my salvation, he is my defense, I shall not be moved. The guy that wrote this was uh, the palmist of Israel Uh, If you've been watching the news lately, you probably got that. If you didn't, that's okay, the palmist, uh, actually the psalmist of Israel. Did anybody get that, or did that just kind of zoom right by, four of you? Okay, good. But anyway, so he writes this later in life, okay? Um, and Remember a few years prior, David is sitting in a cave, and he said, I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul, right? God had already told him you're going to be king. I don't know if it's going to work out like God said. I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. Saul didn't kill him. You know the story. He becomes king, arguably the greatest king in Israel's history. And now he's later in life and he writes this. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. That's present tense. I shall not be moved. In other words, I know. God's in charge. God's on the throne. God's calling the shots. I'm in his hands. I'm not going to be moved. So God says, I've given you all these great gifts. I've given you power, not fear, love, not fear, and a sound mind. How does that happen? Last thought and I'll be done. It happens through faith. And that is placing your trust not only in the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation. And I hope everybody in here knows Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But it also means that I'm going to trust I'm going to surrender, and I'm going to commit. I'm going to give you a couple verses, we'll be done. Psalm 56.3, what time I am afraid. David writing again, I will trust in thee. By the way, he doesn't say, I will never be afraid. David who killed a lion, David who killed a bear, David who killed Goliath said, even after those three events, which were kind of big, He said, there will still be times when I know I'm going to be afraid. And when that happens, I will trust in thee. And so I have to understand those gifts, power, love, sound mind, and then faith. It means I just have to trust him. Then one more verse. Well, maybe two. Here we go. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Faith is trusting, faith is surrender, and then finally the last one. Then they willingly received him into the ship. This is the story of John chapter 6. The only miracle that a... Uh, uh, John chapter 6 holds the only miracle that occurs in each of the four gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. At the tail end of this, you find Jesus with the disciples on the sea. The Bible says, then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. And so the last thing about faith is it is commitment. It is saying, it's settled. Some, t- some time ago, you used to see this. Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, Jesus saying it settles it, whether you believe it or not, doesn't. But I will tell you this. God wants you and me to be settled. And I think for a lot of reasons. That sound mind that is lacking from so many people. Hey, listen, I've got four daughters. I, I have a wife four daughters, five grandchildren. If they see me rattled by everything that's happening, what confidence do they have in that which I place my faith? And if you don't think people are watching you, you're sadly mistaken. Hey, moms and dads, your children are watching. Grandparents, your grandchildren are watching. Anybody and our children here at Timberline in our community They're watching you. Because a lot of our world seems like it's separating at the seams. Just so much unrest, so much uneasiness. But that should never be for the child of God. Why? Because God said, I gave you some things for days like this. I gave you these unclaimed gifts. Power, love, and a sound mind. As you leave today, think about those things that God has given you to help you through days like today, years like this year. And know this, God said, I'm thinking of you, and I've got great thoughts, thoughts of peace, for an expected end. Yes, I know, sometimes we'd like to look down the road and see how it's all going to turn out. But the fact is, we know this, it's going to be good for the believer. We know that. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, whatever day that is. And so I hope you'll recognize those great gifts that God has given us. I want to thank you for coming today, taking time out of your your Sunday and signing up and going through the process of doing that. Hopefully we won't be doing that again. Uh, right now, the p- the plan is, and we fully expect to be regular services next Sunday at 1030. Uh, we can accommodate, even at the 25% restriction, if that's still in play, uh, we can accommodate everybody who wants to come. Um, I will make an announcement and that let you know if our children's programs will start back next Sunday or the following, but we hope to do that soon, as well as our Thursday night uh, kids programs as well. But in the meantime, I hope you'll tune in for... Uh, we've got another message in our series, God's Waiting Room, on Sunday night at 5 o'clock on our live stream. And then Thursday night, uh, this week, we'll hit the uh, last half of chapter one of the book of Galatians, or Ephesians. rather. And uh, listen, if you need anything, make sure you let us know. And uh, it's, it does my heart good to see you. And so thank you for taking time to be part of our service today. And if you're watching at home, thank you for taking time for that as well. I encourage you to be good to each other. And remember this, that sound mind, that's from God. And he wants you to have it, even in the midst of what seems like uncertain times. Let's pray together. Lord, would you bless and help us now today and in the days to come? Meet the needs of everyone that are here. I pray you'd give them favor. And Lord, please guide and direct and bless. We ask you to do that which only you can. And Lord, we do pray for your help and favor. We ask it in Jesus' name.